Hello and welcome to This Climate Business, the podcast about turning the climate crisis into opportunity. Please follow us on social media and rate the podcast as it helps others to find us. I hope you enjoy the show. Michelle Kennedy is the founder of the Auckland Climate Festival, a celebration of all things climate change, ranging from bike tours to investor meetings, a beach cleanup, a transport tech conference, film screenings, and the Otato Nahiri Native Trees Conference, and so much more. Thanks for joining me, Michelle, on this climate business. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, the festival just looks great. This is the second year, right? Mm-hmm. And um, you really chose a time to launch a conference in the middle of COVID. <laughs> <laughs> I know it wasn't the best timing. <laughs> but, I mean, if you look at it another way, one of the reasons why I set it up was so that climate action uh, remained, you know, high on the agenda uh-huh. despite everything going on with COVID. Um, you know, it was easy during that time for things to be put aside, but climate change isn't going anywhere and we still need to be doing a lot of work um, in that space. So, yeah. It, it, well, tell us about the festival. What, what is it? So the festival is uh, a month-long initiative in October this year, uh, which brings together over 125 events and initiatives focused on climate action. So it's intended to be a whole-of-society response where uh, all different types of organisations um, from business, mana whenua, uh, rangatahi-led organisations and so on um, can put on events uh, for their communities and for their audiences, mm. all focused on climate action and for it to be place-specific to Auckland. Mm. It's interesting that um, you need a month to put all this stuff together. Like, it could happen any time, right? Why, yeah. why do we, you know, why does it work that you kind of create this umbrella month of activity? Mm. Well, so it's similar to London Climate Action Week, which is um, what I worked on prior to actually setting up Auckland Climate Festival. Yeah. Um, so the main idea, I guess, uh, behind pulling things together at the same time is around the multiplier effect. So, you know, the fact that you can really create and amplify what's going on so much more when you've got a lot of activity going right. on at one given time. It's like clustering. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so... Um, the reason why we decided to go for a month rather than a week was just to, you know, give it space, mm. give give um, give people time to breathe in between the different events as well, and actually kind of soak in what was going on. Sure. Um, so yeah. Yeah, and not as big as London. No, no you know, um, as a country, and no. <laughs> so you know, so yeah, we've got to give ourselves a chance to have a few decent things. But 125 yeah. events—that's fantastic! What yeah. a great result in year two. Yes. Um, but I think you've sneaked in a couple of things. You've sneaked in <laughs> like the Otato Nahiri conference, which I'm um, vaguely involved with, um, creating some media around. That's happening at Papa in Wellington. It is, yes. So one of the really cool things, actually, about this is um, that. I've ended up connecting with people all across the country mm. who are, you know, really passionate about driving climate action uh, in Aotearoa. And so we, you know, we've been talking over the last year or so and um, decided to cross-promote each other's initiatives and um, give people the opportunity to engage in um, in what's being put on around the country. Yeah. Um, because why not? You know, it's... That conference, for example, is relevant to people 
all around the country. Yes. And so it is relevant to Auckland's audiences and we can give people the option to join virtually. So that's what we've got in our right. program. Right. Well, yeah. sound, that sounds very generous-hearted of you. How do your sponsors, <laughs> um, how does Auckland Unlimited or Tataki Auckland Unlimited feel about that? Well, ultimately it is for, we, we are still, um, it is an Auckland-focused event. It's for Auckland audiences. Yeah. So it's, the content is relevant to us and the and it's helpful for the growth of, of our city. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, I'm not going to, I mean, it's great. <laughs> I think it's fantastic. Um you know, this um, journey to get here has been pretty interesting because I know that you did work on the London Festival. So yeah. to, to what extent were you able to just kind of model what you'd seen there? Was there any IP that you had to buy? or No, so, yeah, so it was an interesting story. I actually was seconded uh, from Arab, where I used to work. Um, which the engineering a, firm? Yes. yes. So, so my background is actually in strategic urban and transport planning and a bit of foresight and innovation work as well. Yeah. So really interesting company that, isn't it? Because it's uh, one of the, it's a little bit like Patagonia, which gets all the headlines, but a long time ago it was turned into a trust, I think. Yes. So effectively all of the employees own the company. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Oh, man, we should talk about that some, some other time. Back to the climate <laughs> festival. <laughs> yes. So I, while I was at Arup, I was seconded to be the program lead for London Climate Action Week. Um, so I was working on that full time uh, prior to COVID hitting. <laughs> um, and But because of COVID, I did end up coming back to New Zealand. But the team in London uh, encouraged me to think about doing something similar here. Right. Um, so that is actually how the festival kind of came about was um, was through that experience with them and through their encouragement mm. as well. Um, and I mean, for them, London Climate Action Week was set up by E3G, third generation third generation environmentalism, bit of a mouthful, um, and they're a think tank. And so they're, they're doing London Climate Action Week as a, um, you know, because they're really passionate about bringing people together and they can see the need for it. Yeah. So the fact that we're doing something on this side of the world is something that they're really excited to mm, be supporting. Mm, um, mm. Yeah. That's great. So have they been able to help you out in any way? Is there any connection, you know, yeah. formally between the two festivals? It, there's not a formal connection there, but um, I keep in touch with the founder, Nick, maybe, um, quite frequently. Hmm. So uh, he, uh, he he's the one that was behind setting up London Climate Action Week uh, back in 2019. Right. And he's, um, yeah, he, he's provided some really wonderful wisdom and advice on right. how to right. get things going and bring people together and also um, sharing some information on the different sorts of initiatives that they're trying to activate within London's communities. Yeah. Um, and, you know, just to share with us what we could consider doing here as well. Um, yeah. it, I guess for a festival to be effective, you really do need it to be across all communities, right, and, and all groups. And the tendency with the stuff, I suppose, is to end up being kind of business and yep. government because it's so kind of has been dominated so far by policy, hasn't it? I've just been at the Climate and Business Conference this week, which was really good, except that it's all enterprise and all policy. Um, You're trying to broaden the whole appeal and engagement. Tell me about how you you could do that and, and get out of the usual suspects. Yes, so and that very much so is at the core of the festival 
the intent behind the festival mm. is for it to be a whole of society response. Yeah. Acknowledging that you do need all of the different stakeholders across society working together and feeling empowered to make change. Um, you need the the feedback and the interaction between businesses and communities mm. and between government and communities and between government and businesses and, and all of those interactions. Mm. And I guess so, so we've worked um, really hard at identifying who those uh, who's already doing stuff in, mm-hmm. in, in the climate sphere, uh, broadly speaking. Mm. Um, so across uh, different advocacy groups, community groups, businesses, and, and so on. And we have uh, we actively asked a number of them to get involved and think about yeah what they could either put on or whether there was something that was already taking place that could be folded into the program that we could amplify as a result of it being part of it. So. It's quite interesting how positive the feeling is. I mean, I've just looked at the website, so I haven't fully engaged yet, but, you know, meeting you, obviously you're a very positive person, but um, so much of climate change news is really depressing, and and rightly so. You know, it is, it's terrible news. But um, it looks like you've put a lot of emphasis on positivity, on agency. Yep. Yes. So... One of the one of the things that's important to us is, I guess, trying to bring a sense of hope around mm. climate action because mm. there is so much doom and gloom around it. And like you said, fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> it is a it is quite terrifying. It is it is scary. I I you know I I definitely feel that too. However, I think in order for us to actually make meaningful change and work together as a society, we do need hope, you know, as a central tenant to it. Mm. And so that has been, I'm glad that that's come through, through the website and through the comms and things like that, because it was, it is something that we're, that we're trying to do. And equally with the theme that we're, that we're focusing on this year, it, yeah, it was part of that. Yeah, to me, yeah, yes. which is a, such a lovely idea. And it's kind of interesting, isn't it, that we'll, uh, this is a slight aside, but, um, it's interesting to to me as a sort of white European kind of male, this discovery of intergenerational responsibility seems like a, a kind of an awakening. And, you know, that's kind of embarrassingly stupid because I only had to talk to Māori or, you know, any Indigenous community or long-standing communities to know that, you know, thinking slightly beyond yourself and your children might be a good idea. Yes. <laughs> so th- this theme must be really resonating at the moment. Yes, it is. It, it seems to have landed really well with people, I think. Um, and it doesn't matter what cultural or ethnic background you are. It, we're, we're all ancestors at the end of the day. Yeah. Um, and we all are part of a lineage and, and part of history. And so it is nice to um, for people to actually realise that for a start. And I think for us, when we were, when we were workshopping the theme, we were... We were trying to think of what um, what is it that we want our future descendants to think of us in this moment in time, yeah. And um, and where we got to is that we want them to to look back on us and 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 to see that we had hope for their future, mm-hmm. that we believed in a good future for them. Mm. So it's not it's we, we're not trying to with the theme we're not trying to make it seem as though everything is rosy and and all good, mm. you know. Um, 
we're not suggesting that we're living lives at the moment that we're necessarily all proud of. You know, we're, we're within systems that are, a lot of them are pretty broken. Mm. And so, you know, we're kind of forced in many ways to, to live in certain ways. Um, but the one thing that we can have, despite all that messiness, is we can have a, a belief in a good future for them. Mm. So uh, hopefully that will come through through the events mm. program oh, as well. well it, yeah. it really does on, on all the you know, kind of the comms and stuff that I'm seeing around the website. So it'll be interesting to see how the festival unfolds with that. But I think that that it's quite an infectious. Uh, I just recently saw the latest book by Paul Hawken, mm-hmm. who I think is coming to New Zealand. Is that right? He is. Or is he speaking? At, he's speaking virtually. Right. Yeah. So Paul Hawken is uh, an author and I think, is he the brains behind Drawdown? He is, yes. The, the Drawdown Project. So his latest book is about um, regeneration. Mm-hmm. Regeneration is such a powerful metaphor. Uh, it's much more engaging and creates greater sense of belonging and reduces also, I think, the you know, I think for climate change, the, the big stuff is disempowering because, mm-hmm. you know, really what can I do about the melting Antarctic you know, mm. um, ice sheets. But what I could do is in my garden, you know, right now, what I could do is have a carless day or whatever. Mm-hmm. And that idea of regeneration, I think, is quite empowering. Yeah. Your festival is kind of set at that level too, isn't it? I mean, we're doing bike tours and film screenings and beach cleanups. These are all things that are kind of within reach of ordinary yeah. people. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so... Um, the the idea really was to bring together events that people individuals could do mm. um, that were very practical. So actually getting people rather than just talking about climate action, actually getting people engaged mm-hmm. in it uh, on a practical level. But then also having events on the program that did speak to that systems change and and helped drive forward the bigger picture changes that we need to see as well. So that's more the the business government mm. side of things, I guess mm. you could say, versus mm. the more community-style events. Well, it's the both and, isn't it? Yes. How are you running this? So you've come back from the UK. Presumably uh, it's not paying you a massive salary to um, <laughs> to run this. How? What's the setup, you know, that's kind of funding it and, and allowing you to devote the time? Are you doing this full-time? I am doing it full-time, yeah. So I set up a... Uh, a social enterprise last year called Six Generations. Mm-hmm. So that speaks to what you're saying before. Mm, in sure, that's why only six. Intergener- well, yeah. <laughs> so um, many indigenous cultures around the world think in seven generations. Yes. And so the idea behind Six Generations was that we're the one generation that are you know making decisions for the six yeah, that good. follow us. Yeah, so that's, that's the, uh, <laughs> that's the intent Seven of that. Seven is the magic number. Yeah, I mean, that's yeah. often kind of, yeah, um, how it's discussed. So um, how how the festival works, how it's all set up. Uh, I set up the social enterprise Six Generations last year, and um, basically we rely on um, grant funding predominantly mm-hmm. and some mm-hmm. corporate sponsorship. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of in three buckets. One is in the local government uh, funding, so from uh, Tataki, Auckland Unlimited. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we've got more the philanthropic funding, so say Whakatupu Aotearoa Foundation, Foundation North, Tyndall Foundation, and then, yeah, some corporate sponsors who are either giving in-kind support mm-hmm. or, um, or some 
financial contribution. It's a hard yakka pulling that together, isn't it? Particularly, it is. <laughs> uh, you know, in the last year or so, um, is it getting easier? Has year two been easier? I think it's been easier in terms of people being aware of the festival and actually grasping the concept. Mm. Last year, it was just an idea. You know, I mean, I had been involved in delivering the one in London, so there was something to go off, but yeah. nothing had been done here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I was kind of, you know, it was a bit of a, uh, you know, people were just trusting that it would come together, and it did, and, you know. Um, and so this year, it's been great to have that to demonstrate that we could do something in yeah. the middle of a COVID lockdown and still yeah. have 75 events and all that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but from a funding perspective, it's definitely still a huge challenge. Yeah. I think what I found is that, you know, the philanthropic uh, sector, for example, they're learning, you know, at the same time as everyone else is learning. Mm-hmm. And so their policies and application forms and all that kind of thing are, uh, yeah, I guess still evolving. Yeah. So for something like what I'm doing, where it doesn't fit neatly into a traditional uh, category of funding, there's a bit of work involved in communicating the oh, I see impact what you mean. that it's because going it's to have. neither environmental strictly environmental strictly social exactly. or yeah or cultural and it's called a festival but really it's the reason why it's called a festival is so that again speaking to that kind of like hope side of things yeah um, and then it's also more you know the, the impact is more on generating a movement yes it's not where whereas from a funding perspective, it can be viewed as an event. Yeah. And so, yeah, there's just a bit of tension there. So definitely going forward, we are, you know, revisiting the model and trying to see how we can make it a bit more sustainable, mm. but also bringing our existing funding partners on the journey with us too. You know, it's been really cool to see what they have learned, mm. even just by being involved in the festival, mm. being associated with it yeah. and meeting people through through the festival too. Uh, so. it's, it is a really good networking event, isn't it? And I think, you know, the way you're joining the dots, mm. I think, is probably really good. And it gets beyond the silos of industry yeah. that, uh, you know, that tend to happen. You know, we, we do gravitate towards our peers, which yeah. makes so much sense. And the genius of this is the sort of horizontal um, mm. kind of joining. Um, I'd like to... Um, question you or see if I could extract from you your comparisons with um, New Zealand. You know, it's a classic New Zealand question. Is so what do you think of it so far? Um, but you're reasonably fresh back from the UK. You were working, obviously, really at the heart of climate action there. Yeah. But how do we compare and contrast? Hmm. Our Indigenous worldview uh, and knowledge, Mataranga Māori, is definitely uh, one of our unique points of difference mm. and something that I think is phenomenal and we are so privileged to be able to live in a country that has that heritage um, at our very core. And so I think that was that's probably one of the biggest differences that I've noticed mm. from working in, in London um, versus working here is just how how deeply rooted that is uh, in our culture and, and how we do things and and, um, and and how much it can offer the climate space. Mm-hmm. And when I was in London, that, that was recognised as well. You know, that was one of the things that on a global stage, 
um, the E3G who I was working for, they're in the diplomatic kind of space. So they, they were involved in the COP negotiations and things like that. And they said that, you know, that was one thing that New Zealand could really offer the global stage huh. was bringing that, that knowledge um, and the, the worldview. Yeah. Um, so that is something that I hope that the festival can help foster yeah. and amplify, not only to people in Auckland and Aotearoa, but also hopefully abroad as well. Mm. You know, a lot of things will be videoed, we'll be capturing a lot of quotes and things like that, so yeah. hopefully it can contribute that way too. Yeah, that sounds yeah. great. The other um, area of comparison that's sometimes made with the UK is that a lot of our legislation that's been pushed through in the last two years has kind of been modelled on the, um, you know, with the setting up of the Climate Change Commission, for instance, and the Adaptation Plan and Emissions Reduction Plan are, are quite similar to what was passed probably about a decade ago in the UK. Yes, yeah. So at one level we compare, you know, might congratulate ourselves on passing this, these kind of laws, but are we, it, it feels like we're quite far behind in that regard. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I think that the... The, the UK felt uh, their their planning documents, for example. I mean, my experience is mainly in the urban planning uh -huh. kind of space. Yeah, um, and quite, even quite a credible place to it is <laughs> be in and um, to hear about. So tell us about that. So, yeah. for example, uh, the London's plan and the and the climate plans that they had at a city level were very comprehensive. Um, and they, you know, when I was there, I was there a few years ago now, but, you know, they're very advanced in terms of their transport plans and people getting on board with that. Mm. Obviously, they're much more used to taking public transport and all that kind of thing anyway. So yes. it's, it's pretty hard to compare in many respects. But, yeah, they, it just felt like their communities were a bit more ready mm. for change and willing to make change. Mm. Um and I think I think when you're over there as well, you know, you're exposed to so many different um, policies that are coming out of of Europe and a lot of innovation, and so and there is a lot of money as well being put behind those things, mm. which does really facilitate the acceleration of change and the adoption of policies. Yeah, quicker I think too. Yeah, so, yeah, that, yeah, that's pretty interesting. Yeah. Hey, today is a, a significant day that we're talking because it's a um, climate strike, school uh, climate strike uh, happening today. Um, what's uh, what is your sense about youth and the the kind of the rangatahi movement that you've been exposed to? What what kind of kids are you meeting, and you know, uh, should we be despairing or hopeful about the <laughs> the future? <laughs> I think we can definitely be hopeful about our future in terms of the rangatahi that are, yeah, really, you know, there's a, there is a really active community in New Zealand of the, of the rangatahi. Mm. Um, you know, it was, obviously we had the school strikes for climate group um, that were really active a number of years ago yeah. with the big strike that they did. It was actually, I wasn't actually here for that at the time, but it was very cool. I've heard so much about it. Yeah. yeah it <laughs> Everyone brings cool. it up when I talk to them, which and is amazing. Sophie yeah. Hanford, who was probably the leader of it. Yep. Um, she's speaking at the Otato yes. Nahiri conference. Yeah. Uh, um, very inspirational. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, in terms of Rangatahi, I think, my sense is that there is 
um, there is still a bit of a disconnect between Rangatahi voices and actually being part of decision making mm-hmm. and that filtering through <laughs> to change. So I think there's there's a lot of frustration with our younger people because of that. Mm. Um, and you know it is it is a it is a challenge to bridge that gap mm-hmm. between the two. Um, you know, even even with what I've been doing, I have been trying to engage Rangatahi, but they're all you know really busy. They've got <laughs> they're expected to do a lot, you know, and um, they don't necessarily have the resources as well. Yeah. So I think there's a really big responsibility on businesses and government to actually provide opportunities for younger people to be involved in decision making in a meaningful way that works for them. Oh, that's so interesting. And what at a time that works for them yeah, and yeah. actually but actually helping build up their capability and resources around it because that's the main thing that I've come up against when I've been trying to engage younger groups, for example, or Rangatahi-led organisations, is that they just don't have the means to do stuff. Mm-hmm. They want to, but they, they don't have the funding or the capacity to actually put things on themselves. Yet, so. um, you know, embedded in the festival and, and in this thinking is the sort of generational yeah. responsibility, right? So, you know, the decisions that we're making now will have a effect. I, I just remember an anecdote about Brexit that, you know, if they'd done the vote now, mm. uh, it would be it would be a no because that group of people has already died. Yep. <laughs> yes. Um, you know, which is just incredibly unfair, isn't it? And I, th- I that's a that's a really interesting challenge. What kind of processes, environment, mm. um, mechanisms can we create where um, yeah. young people can be involved? And not just be, as you say, just be asked to do stuff, you know, squeezed between school and yes, yeah, and after school sport and so on. That's the thing. I think there's a lot in terms of, the, a lot of work that I know I need to do in, in terms of engagement and that's around timing, you know. Say, for example, the festival, it's in October, which is not actually a very good time for uni students. It was originally, and, and, and high school students either, uh, we originally did October because it was in the lead up to COP mm. and also coming out of winter and um, kind of on the shoulder season of other things that wasn't going to be competing. You know, there are a number of of reasons, but that's something that I acknowledge, that the timing is really important of when to engage Mm. and when, um, yeah, when to ask them to (laughs) um, be involved in things. And then also from a funding perspective, I've been having conversations with our funding partners to see if we can set up a specific fund that Rangatahi can apply to, to put stuff on as part of the festival. And there's been, you know, we have had um, some support from our funding partners on an ad hoc basis this year Mm. um, who have, who have contributed, which has been really cool. So one of the, one of the events, the uh, Pacific Climate Justice Exhibition, uh, which is taking place on the 14th of October. It's one of the ones I'm most excited about on the program. Um, It's, it's, it's basically an evening where, um, Pacifica and Māori communities are going to be sharing their stories mm. through waiata, um, storytelling, spoken word poetry and art, and um, and they'll be hosting that at the Onihanga, um, the new 
waste centre. Oh, yes. Yeah. 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 Um, which is, I believe, entirely Māori and Pacifica Yeah, that's right. Run, yeah. Um, which is so very cool. Um, but that was something that Auckland Council and Foundation North, I believe, have helped um, put some funding yeah. towards Great. to make it happen. And it, it wouldn't have happened without their funding support. Sure. So, yeah, yeah no, that's that's so interesting. Well, um, that's probably a very good time for us to talk about what, what's, what are some highlights. So, you know, 125 events. We're not going to run through them all right <laughs> no. now. What, what are you looking forward to? Yeah, well, like I said, that that uh, the exhibition is probably my number one. Mm. I because Auckland is home to so many Pacifica communities. You know, I think that there's something um, we have a really big responsibility mm. to share those stories and amplify uh, what's going on with them, and particularly as we look forward to. Um, with more climate refugees from the islands coming to New Zealand, they'll come to Auckland yes. and to South and West Auckland. Yeah. And so it's just not very well known about or talked about. Uh, and so, yeah, I'm really looking forward to that being something that the festival can offer in terms of actually getting people to think about that more. Mm. When is um, it? The exhibition? Yes. It's on the 14th of October. Right. Oh, you've yeah. said that. Yep. Sorry. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Uh, yep. My mind was already <laughs> racing ahead. <laughs> but um, I'm hoping there'll be yeah. other events as well that will yeah. kind of speak to that as well. Mm. Um, not only from a cultural perspective, but also, you know, thinking about it in terms of jobs. Uh, you know, what jobs are we going to yeah. have yeah. for these people? How is our economy going to function? All those sorts of things, you know, in the, cha- in the face of these really significant changes mm. that are going to happen, not only for the Pacific, but for... For us, mm, yeah. Mm. Um, how can we monarchy well? You know all these sorts of things. So that's that's one kind of like topic area that I'm really interested. That I'm really excited mm-hmm. about. Yeah. Um, hearing about and learning more, and you know, um, I'm also really interested in the uh, obviously as a as an urban planner. <laughs> there's quite a lot of events in the uh, urban design, urban planning, transport space. Yeah, that's right. Well, there's um, the there's the Transport Tech Conference. Yep. Uh, and then there's also an Auckland Conversations. I'm not sure what the yes. topic is of the Auckland Conversation. Is that about? It's about radical collaboration. Right. Yeah. <laughs> they're just, um, yeah, they're just finalising the speakers at the moment. It's looking like it'll be really cool. Yeah. But um, KPMG are also putting on a panel discussion around transport in Auckland, which will be very interesting. Great for all you. Uh, um, um, changing mode nerds. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yes, it's. Um, I mean, that's one of the main ways that for Auckland that we're going to reduce our emissions. Absolutely, and create more thriving communities is through our through the integrated land use and transport side of things. Yeah, making changes there. So I'm really interested in that. Great. Well, we should get you on again to talk about urban planning. Um, Michelle Kennedy, it's lovely to talk to you. Um, congratulations on the festival. Thank you for putting in so much effort to make it happen. You know, without people, you know, taking a few years off work to actually make it happen, these things just don't. So um, thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to This Climate Business. If you like the show, please rate us as it helps others to find us. Ka kiti anō. Thank you.